This morning, I want to open you, you open your Bibles to several passages, but uh, let me just share something with you um, as we prepare to uh, move forward. We're in this series in, entitled Gathering Together, Gathering Together, and it's surrounded around what God does for his people when they gather together. But uh, I want to share this with you that from the beginning of time, one of the things that we have recognized is that uh, from the beginning of creation that God always determined that the world would not be without his presence. He always wanted his presence to be in the earth. And so before man showed up, God's spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And then after man came, uh, the Bible tells us that God breathed in him, into him and man became a living being. And, and Adam then became God's representative in the earth. And since that time, God had a way of speaking to people throughout history and throughout times. He had a, he had a way of revealing his presence to them. And, and as we read the story of God, what we recognize is that we begin to see God's presence in, uh, with the prophets. We begin to see God's presence show up uh, with the priests. We, we begin to see God's presence in temples, in tents. And God said that, you know what? I desire my presence to always be, always be in the earth. And so uh, as a result of that, uh, the day of Pentecost came and, and uh, the church began to ex was birthed and, and began to experience God's presence. When God did, he formed, when he, God formed man in Genesis, one of the interesting things that he did in the book of Acts, he did the same thing when he formed the church. In Genesis 1, God took a dirt body and he breathed into that dirt body. And then now God began to transfer a part of him into man. The very same thing that happened in the book of Acts, in Acts uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, that when uh, that man began to gather together, that God began to breathe in the place where they were. And man began to be a, a, a living being at another level because the Bible says that they would, he would, they would have a brand new life. But what man did is man now, all, uh, all of a sudden, the spirit did not just come upon them, the spirit remained in them. And so today we carry the very presence of God. When God transferred himself into us, he gave man authority. He gave Adam authority when he transferred himself into him. And uh, what's interesting is that in the book of Genesis chapter 1, I want you to turn there very quickly. In Genesis chapter 1, what we find in the beginning when God began to, um, when he spoke to Adam and he began to uh, release authority in Adam when God released his presence there. And God released that authority, God released that power into him. And in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1 is the first, bi uh, first book uh, in the Bible. It's one of the easiest ones to find. So are you there? Shout, uh-huh. Come on, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, the Bible reads, it says, then God what? Said. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. It says, then God what? Said. Genesis chapter 1, verse 9. Then God what? Said. Verse 11. Then God what? Said. Verse 14. Then God what? Said. Verse 20. Then God what? Verse 24, then God what? Verse 26, then God what? Verse 29, then God what? Let's go to the last verse in, in Genesis chapter 1, and it says, then God what? Saw, saw what? Everything. Okay, God saw everything that he had said. God said some things 
And whatever he said, he saw everything that he said. In Genesis chapter 1, and then what God did is he created man, and he says, Adam, the same authority that I have, that I'm breathing into you. And so what you say, you'll be able to see. And what we recognize then is that he said, so Adam now began to name uh, the creatures. And Adam began to call things names. And the things that he called name, he began to see the very thing that he called the name of. Do you know what scientists tells us today? That there are over 30 million uh, types of animals and species of, of, of insects in the earth. Isn't that amazing the, the, what he had the ability to do? Because he carried the presence of God and the presence of God brought him power and authority. Do you know what? When God birthed the church, the very same authority and power that he gave Adam, he's given to you and I. And so right now we're in the season of Pentecost. And on next Sunday is Pentecost. Pentecost simply means 50. And it, and it represents 50 days from, um, from uh, what we called uh, uh, Easter, what we celebrate, uh, the resurre resurrection of Jesus. And so... Uh, in the Bible, God told them that he wanted them to celebrate three events, or he would say that celebrate three festivals or have three feasts. And on those feasts, they were to gather where? Together. They were to gather together on the, uh, for those feasts. And, and, and the Bible tells us that it's in Exodus chapter 23, verse 14, and, and you don't have to turn there right now, but what God does is he tells us that he wants them to recognize three feasts during the course of the year. The first one that he wanted to, uh, them to, to recognize, uh, he wanted them to recognize the uh, Feast of Unleavened, and that represents the Passover, that represents Easter. The second uh, that he wanted them to recognize is he wanted them to recognize the Feast of Ingathering, which represents the harvest, and, or, or Pentecost. And that's what we will come together next Sunday and, uh, and celebrate. And then the third thing that God told them to do is that he wanted them to gather, gather, gather together to recognize the feast, feast of ingathering, which represents the atonement of how they have been delivered from their sin or their past. And God wanted them to celebrate these three things first because he wanted them to be reminded of his presence. He wanted them to be reminded of his power and he wanted them to be reminded of their power. His presence, his power, and their power. And he says, so I want you to gather together. And there was a benefit for them to gather together. Now, would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 23, please? Because in Exodus chapter 23, what we'll find here is that when God was moving his children into the promised land, he, he told them that there were seven major enemies that were in that land that they had to overcome. Seven major enemies. And you would think that if, you, if I'm going to a promise, then why, don't, why doesn't God just get, all, get rid of all the enemies if that's what he's promised me? And, and so God is uh, taking them. But you know what's interesting is that uh, God says that, look, I'm going to take you into this promised land. But what he tells them in verse 20, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Exodus is the second uh, uh, book in the Bible. It's easy to find as well. I'm making it easy this morning, aren't I? Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Uh, come on, champions, let's read that. Let's read it together like we know it is the word of his power. Now, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. God says that there is something that I have already prepared for you. Isn't that good to know that today, 
that God has prepared something already for you. And he is going to bring you into the very thing that he has prepared for you. Now, look at this. In verse 21, let's keep reading together now. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So God's saying that I'm sending my angel before you, and he's going to lead you into the way. And I want you to listen to what he says. Uh, I want you to obey the instructions that are being given. Verse 22, together, now. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. Oh, my God. God says that there's going to be some enemies, seven major enemies that will be in the promised land. But don't worry about your enemies. Because what I am going to do, that I am sending the angel ahead of you who's going to take you in the way. And, and, and as he takes you in the way, if, oh, that's a good worry right there. Because what is the word if, if, oh my God, from our English class, if is a conjunction that precedes a conditional clause. He says, if you what? If you what? If you what? If you obey my voice and do all that I say, then I'll be an enemy to your enemies. And I'll be an adversary to your adversary. Oh, my God. Isn't it wonderful that there are some battles that you shouldn't have to fight? <laughs> he said, I'm going to be an enemy to your enemies. I'll be an adversary to your adversaries. Verse 23. Come on, let's read it, champions. Let's read this uh, like we know it is the word of his power. Together, now. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites. And the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. See, you may, oh my God, see, notice this. There are six enemies right here. But there were seven in Deuteronomy 7 that God said would be in that land. But he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drive out six of them. Oh, you got to know. Because there was one that he didn't, he didn't say that he was going to drive out, but you would have the authority over. And so God says that, look, there are some ites that's trying to, be, uh, trying to stop you from what I have for you. Some of them are called Houstonites, Missouriites, Sugarlandites, Rosenberg Knights, Richmondites, Friendswood Knights, Lixidites. I mean, they got, they got Gravenites. I don't know. Anybody that's a knight. But God said that he'll be what? An enemy to your enemies. And a what? Adversary to your adversaries. And so God says, look, you don't, you don't have to worry about that stuff because something's going to happen if <laughs> a conditional thing. Come on, let's read. Can you keep reading verse 24? Let's read it together now. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. So you shall utterly overthrow them. That's what he says. Now look at verse 25 together now. So you shall serve the Lord your God. And he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the... Now, isn't this what you do when you pray? You're like, oh, uh, Father God, thank you for the food that we're about to eat for the nourishment of our bodies. And take all sickness from the midst of us. Uh, and, and, and sometimes I, I pray that. Sometimes I just say, bless our bread and water. But then sometimes I say, Father, bless our food so to be a blessing to our bodies. 
Because you know what? I grew up, and I grew up in a church, in a house of, of Christians. And man, they used to pray. And, they, and sometimes the food would get cold while we were still <laughs> praying. So I shortened my stuff up here, you know, because I love to eat. And I love to eat hot food. Verse 26. Come on, champions. Let's read it together now. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Wouldn't that bad? I mean, you walk in the place and your enemies see you and they go, and they're fearful of you. And then they start turning their backs and running away from you. Isn't that cool? What God says he'll do for you if. And so, and so he says that, you know what, I'm going to send my fear uh, before you. I'll cause confusion among your enemies. Not confusion among you. Not confusion in your family. Not confusion in the church. But I'll cause confusion to your enemies. And he says that, and then when I cause confusion to your enemies, they're going to turn their back and they're going to run away from you. Now, look at this. Let's keep reading. Verse 28 together now. And I will send hornets. Oh, my God. Which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. Now, so he says that I'm going to send hornets. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Hornets, my God. Have any, has anyone ever been stung by a hornet? And I don't know, I don't know, what, I don't know exactly what I was stung by, but what I was stung by, it hurt. So God said, I'm going to send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites. Now, let's read verse 29 so we can begin to wrap this up. Verse 29. Come on, let's read it together. Now, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous so notice this, there is a purpose for your enemies being where they are. And it does not mean that God is not with you. It does not mean that God is not for you. God said that, look, there's a reason why I've left these enemies in your promised land. And he says that, and I want you to know that I'm not going to drive them out one by one. I'm not going to drive them out all of a sudden. And, and, and let's see why. In verse 30, let's see why and what he's going to do together now. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have, until you have what? And you do what? So he says that until you mature, until you grow, until you produce. Why? Until you are prepared for what I have already prepared for you. But right now you're not prepared. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the enemy to take care of what I have promised for you. But when you grow, when you increase, when you become spiritually uh, mature, what's going to happen is that I'm going to now move you into fullness of that promise. And you know what's going to happen is that you're prepared for what I have prepared for you. And the enemy will not be able to stand against you. And what God is saying is that I want you to always continue to grow, 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 grow. And you continue to possess more of what I have promised. So he says that I'm not going to move them out. Look, some people are in your job. And God says that I'm just getting you ready for what I've already gotten ready for you. And so what he's, there's a responsibility that we have. Responsibility. Now he says that I'm going to drive out those Hivites and those Canaanites and those Hittites. Which is interesting. And so we need to look at then now what God says he's going to drive out. Seven major en enemies in the land. Those six of the enemies that we named a little bit earlier in Exodus 23. And there was a seventh en enemy called the Girgashites that the Bible talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
God did not say here in this particular passage that he would drive out the Girgashites. And the Girgashites, hmm, the Girgashites were a group of people that were offshoot of one of the six. But they, they refer to uh, a clay or soft clay or refers to a foundation. And God says, look, I'm going to drive out the rest of the enemies, but you have got to decide what you're going to build your foundation on. Are you going to build them on me? Or are you going to build them on my word? And when you do, then you'll see that all seven enemies have been defeated. So notice this. Let's take a look here in uh, what he said that he's going to drive out. The first one he says that I'm going to drive out the Amorites. The Amorites. What are the Amorites? The Amorites, the, that word means sayer. Or it means to publicly speak against you when you stand up for what is right. There are some people, when you stand up for what is right, when you stand up for what the word of God says, that there are some people that the enemy will send to talk against you. And they are the Amorites. And God says that this is what I'm going to do, that I'm going to be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary. So you don't have to lose your cool when people are arguing with you about something. Why? Because you know that if, you obey and do what he says, that, that God's going to send some harmets, harnets to sting their behind. Okay, sorry. Amorites, second group that God says that he's going to uh, 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 drive out of the land are the Hittites. Would you say Hittites? These are people that try to terrorize you. They'll try to break you down. They'll try to discourage you. They'll try to create fear, turmoil, and dist distress in your life. You remember that the Midianites would come and they would try to, these people would work and they would try to uh, get the harvest. They'd work the seed. They'd work the land. And the Bible says that at harvest time, the Midianites would come out of the, of the mountains and run God's people away from their harvest. Why? It's because they wanted you to be discouraged and say that, look, I've worked, I've planted, I've watered, but I can never enjoy the fullness of my work or my harvest. And God says that those Midianites or those people that are in your life, those Hittites that are trying to terrorize you and break you down and discourage you from what I have instructed you to do. He says that I'm going to cause a harness to come sting there behind. Third one. The third group here that God speaks about is the Perizzites. Perizzites. The word Perizzite means unwalled. And it means to separate. It means to leave alone and abandon where the enemy surrounds you. And you know what? You're looking around and you can't see anything but your adversaries. And, and that was the very same thing that happened uh, in the servant. See, the Bible tells us that there's are types and shadows. Uh, that's what the, uh, the, the Old Testament is a shadow uh, of what is to come. And so that's why God talks more about the, tells more stories in the Old Testament. And he tells us and we can compare what happened in the New Old Testament with what God says he'll do for us in the New Testament. You'll recall that there was the Elisha and the servant of Elisha. And Elisha's servant came out and he got fearful and he looked around and he said that, look at all the enemies that are surrounding us. What did Elisha say? Lord, open their eye, open his eyes so that he could see that there are more for us than what? Than against us. And so that's the parasites who try to separate you and where it seems like that no matter where you turn, you've got problems, you've got challenges, you've got enemies, and there is no hope. He says that, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send some hornets to sting their behind. Number four. Number four are the Canaanites. Canaanites means to bend the knee or cause humiliation to come in your life. And what they do is they try to bring your mistakes from yesterday. 
They try to bring the shame from yesterday and they want to humiliate you with your past. And there are echoes and echoes that they're trying to speak into your life. And so you're trying to move forward and they're trying to remind you of all the bad things you've done in the past. You're trying to go into your promise and they're trying to uh, remind you of, 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 the, of the things that you've done and the things that you've said that were not productive. God said that I will literally cause your enemy and your adversary, the Canaanites, to be driven away from you. Number five, he says the Hivites. The Hivites means to sew you up or, or it refers to piercing you through. And what it is is putting a ring in your nose. It's the analogy of literally putting a ring, ring in your nose to lead you around. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go. Number six, number six. This is the six, the Jebusites. The Jebusites means to step on and trample underfoot. And so look at this. There are people that are trying to step on you, trying to use you as a stepping stone, trying to get higher uh, from their lower position, and they're trying to use you to get higher. God says that I see who they are, and I, be, I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will be an adversary to your adversary. And so what he says is that what I'm going to do is that when the enemy is trying to come and to pull you down and lead you around through your nose, through the nose, that he will send ministering angels to go before you and to be an enemy and an adversary. And so what I want to do is that God said that I will send hornets and the people that were coming to attack you will turn and run from you. I will send hornets. Now, hornets are mentioned three times in the Bible. <laughs> And uh, this is the first time that hornets are, uh, are, are, are mentioned in the Bible. The second time is in Deuter Deuteronomy chapter 7. See, I'm telling you this so that you can, the Bible says that, that study to show yourself approved a workman that needs not to be ashamed. So what I'm telling you and I'm giving you the name so you can go home and say, I, I don't know if that's true what he's saying, but you can study it out for yourself. Amen. The second time was in uh, Joshua chapter 24 when the children of Israel were trying to cross the, uh, uh, the uh, Jordan to go. The Bible says that God sent hornets ahead of them. <laughs> and you know what the Jordan represented? The Jordan represented their limitation or their boundary or their, the, the, the very thing that separated them from their promise. And, and God said that what I'm going to do is whatever separates you to try to hold you back from what I've prepared for you, I'm going to send hornets. The third uh, place where, where God began to uh, uh, share that is that he began to speak, uh, the third one was in uh, Joshua 24, the second was in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, and then this is where the first one uh, was in Exodus 23. Now, I want to share something with you about hornets. <laughs> God says your enemy has been so entrenched to where you're going, they've been there so long, and they feel like that, that what they are, where they are is theirs. But I have only allowed them to be there so that they can tend to what I have prepared for you. And God said that I'm going to, so I'm going to send hornets when you get ready. <laughs> I'm going to send hornets into the land. And the first thing about a hornet is that a hornet has a sound, has a sound. The second thing about a hornet is a hornet has a sting. And, and, a, and when a hornet stings you, it'll move you out. Oh, you, no matter how tough you are, that hornet stings you and you go, ah! And it just go up and up and up. Deep men with bass voices all of a sudden sound like sopranos. So the, so, so, so the hornet has a sting, and that sting will cause you to move. The third thing a hornet has is hornet uh, uh, swarms. And so the last thing you want to do with a hornet is you want to attack a hornet near its nest because they will release a distressed sound that will cause all the other hornets that's in the nest to come to where they are. Now, 
That's what God is saying about us. That he's saying that it doesn't matter how strong and how big your adversary, the enemy, that I am going to send. And see what a hornet. Hornet is a spiritual force that the Bible talks about. A spiritual force. And what it does is that God sends it in and it's so powerful that it drives out. See, mm, my God. See, when, an, when a believer is being uh, uh, criticized or attacked by another believer, God is saying that it should cause other hornets. It should cause you to begin to, oh my God, I hear something. Just like David did. They, they were standing around talking and David walked up and he says that I, I, I'm coming from the nest. And I hear somebody talking about my God. And they say, well, wait a minute. You're too young. You don't have what it takes. He looked at him. He says that is there not a what? Is there not a cause? And do you know what he said? That look, my God will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. How is he going to do that? Let me give you some fighting material. David says, no, no, no. God's already prepared me. That I have not tested this. But what I have tested is that just as I had the bear and the lion with my bare hands. See, see, I said the, uh, a couple of days ago, I said that, wow, I'm, I'm so excited, I'm, I'm ready to go bear hunting with a switch. And somebody says, well, I'll be way behind you. And I go, that's fine. Because you remember David. David went out and he just had his hands. And he killed the bear and the lion. He says that, look, see, notice this. Where did God equip him? God was preparing him. That's why David, although he was anointed, didn't go straight into the palace to be the king. Why? It's because there was something that God needed to prepare him for as he was taking care of his father's sheep. What happened is that uh, the Bible says that he got equipped and prepared for what the opportunity that will come that seemed like an insignificant moment, but it was significant for him. So let me just kind of share something really quick with you as we prepare to close. And uh, on, the, on the day of Pentecost, what God did was when he formed man in Genesis, he did the same thing that he did when he formed the church. Genesis 1, when he took that dirt body and he breathed into it, and man uh, had the same presence and substance of God's. He did that very same thing in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, when he began to birth the church. The Bible says that they were gathered together and God uh, transferred himself into man. He transferred his presence into man. He transferred his power into man. Uh, God transferred a man to have and walk in that same power. And when the church was formed, the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, champions, let's read that like we know it is the word of his power. Now, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive what? You shall receive what? You shall receive power. Now, so often uh, people have related that to with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And yes, but there was more than that. See, in the English language, we are limited in, in, in the words that we use. But I want to show you what this word power means in the Greek, what this power means in uh, the Hebrew. When he said that I will uh, 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 give you power when, the, when my presence, what is the Holy Spirit? What is the spirit? Ruach. It means holy breath. When, when my breath comes upon you, when the wind of my presence comes upon you, you shall receive power. Now, I want to share with you what, what this power is that God has given you, because when God released his power on the day of Pentecost, it was for more than you to just speak in tongues. But what it was, let me, let me tell you what this is here, and you got to capture it because I'm going to go quick, that God gave you power. Here's a word for power, exousia. 
The word exousia means uh, uh, the power to establish authority. And when you've got authority, what you say now all of a sudden carry meaning and power. So God says that uh, when, my, when I breathe on you <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, you're going to receive authority, exousia, a power now that will set you up so that when you say something, you'll see what you have said. The second thing that we see here is that another word is dunamis. The word dunamis means, we get our word dynamite from it, and it means the divine ability to work miracles. God says that, you know what, that man has an ability, but I have a greater ability. And he said, what I am transferring to you is my ability to work miracles. And you know what a miracle is? A miracle is that which only God can do. And so God says that when they gather together, I release my power in their midst, and now all of a sudden they got some authority. They all of a sudden now, they got some power. And we saw that right after that in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John went into the temple and they said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Rise up in the what? Name of Jesus. And this man who was crippled all of a sudden rose. You know what? The Bible says he came there every day. You know what? This man was there when Jesus went to the temple to worship. But he was never, why? God was demonstrating his power that they saw him when Jesus was there, but that power had been transferred even though physically he was no longer. Look at this. Another one. This is one I like. Coac. It means to, the power to have an unreasonable harvest in a dead field. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. doesn't matter what the economy is doing. doesn't matter you go through a recession. Uh, same thing that God did with Isaac. He sowed during a famine, and he got a what? Hundredfold return. God says that there is some power that I'm releasing to my people, and it should be evidence of my presence. And they're producing unreasonable harvest in a dead field. See, the day of Pentecost was, was, was more than just what we say. It was a power that God had released in us that will give us an ability beyond our natural ability. Oh, I like this next one here. Iskuros. It means the power to destroy the works of the devil against you. The power to destroy the works of the devil. See, that's why God says that I'll send my fear ahead of you. Why? So you can walk in confidence. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of a what? Sound mind. So you walk in confidence knowing that when you show up, the enemy is going to turn his back on you. And you know how easy it is to beat up somebody when they turn their back on you. I mean, you can really fight if somebody turned their back on you. Be, I look good, didn't I? <laughs> now you put somebody in front of me that's doing that very same thing. I'm gonna be. Well, this is another one I like. Dunatos, hey, the power to make money and not lose it. How many of you need some of that power? All on the day of Pentecost. Come on. This last one here is yad, and it means the power to gain what appears to be impossible. It looks like it's impossible, but God says that what is, seems impossible to man is not is possible, is possible with me. Nothing shall be impossible for God. But in all of these instances, it came when they gathered together, and God began to breathe on them. And as he breathed on them, everybody that was in the house, power came to them.